You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Monday, everybody. Some not-so-great weather moving through the area, but, you know, a little thunder isn't hurting anybody right now. We hope to bring the lightning on your Monday afternoon. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on the line. Like I said, on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama, as well as on Facebook, airing on ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central Alabama, and Radio Alabama Sports Facebook pages. That's how you can watch the show. If you want to call in, call in at 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open coming up at 230 We've got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports to talk to us about the NFL draft class for the Alabama Crimson Tide, a school record-setting Alabama draft class that placed six in the first round of the NFL draft. It just kept going and going and going. Levi, how you doing today, my man? A little sad. I mean, draft's, draft's over. Sad. But we have, like, weeks' worth of content now. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I love the end of the draft because you get to talk about all this. Like, who's going to make... Like, you start looking at... You got your first-round picks that are, you know... Those are the guys you knew... You pretty much knew where these guys are going. But I love seeing some of these late-round picks and thinking, all right, who are, who are these guys who are actually going to make a roster spot on certain teams? Like, are these guys going to be perennial practice squad players? Or do they sneak into a roster? Did, they, did, did anybody find any fifth sixth round gems I think maybe the Denver Broncos probably got them a little bit of a gym late in that day three because I think they had someone who we're pretty familiar with slide all the way to them for you know a myriad of reasons but I think that's a pretty good spot to pick up a guy with that kind of upside definitely it will break down all of these Auburn draft selections as we go on throughout the show and that's how we're going to open up the show here breaking down each of Auburn's draft selections we'll also go through what what other Auburn players landed as undrafted free agents after it was all said and done I know we've seen Eli Stove land with the Chargers among some other profile uh, high profile players that were at Auburn a year ago that didn't end up getting drafted and we didn't expect them to get drafted but now they are playing or at least they're going to have a chance to try and make a roster throughout camp and throughout the early, the, the late summer stages, trying to make some 53-man rosters as they go through the preseason. They're going to have a shot, but uh, it, it is a tall task for some of those guys that are landing as undrafted free agents. But we see it every year, and we'll see if any of those guys can make a team. But let's go through this, analyzing each of Auburn's draft selections. There were four of them, so this is pretty much only going to take us a segment. We'll also try and rank these guys in order of fit as well. But let's start off in the third round. Anthony Schwartz to my Cleveland Browns. I was excited to see an Auburn guy go to the Browns because of the local connection, and now maybe some more people around here will keep up with the Cleveland Browns other than just myself and a group of and a very small group 
of people in this area. I, 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 there are so few Cleveland Browns fans here. When I see one at like a Buffalo Wild Wings or somewhere else where I'm watching the game. You get excited. Well, I remember them. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, hey, I- man, how's it going? <laughs> it's just there's such a small group of us. And so this is going to be kind of cool because I think more people are going to be keeping up with the Cleveland Browns. But what would you think of Schwartz to the Browns, which this was one of three teams that seemed to be attracted to a day two selection of Anthony Schwartz, the other two teams being the Chicago Bears and your New Orleans Saints. If it wasn't going to be one of these three teams, I believe it to be a day three selection for Anthony Schwartz. And it just so happens he sneaks in barely into the third round with the Cleveland Browns. It's just like we said Friday. We, we weren't confident that somebody was going to be drafted from Auburn on the second day, but we agreed that if it was somebody, it'd be Anthony Schwartz kind of sneaking in there. I like the move that the Browns made to get, or, you know, I like I like the pick of him because they already have some good receivers in place on that roster. So they're not drafting Anthony Schwartz with this. You have to be a number two guy. Like, he can come in and just fulfill a role. Like, you, they, the two guys that are on this team in Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, they're going to... Don't forget about Hollywood Higgins. Yeah, those three guys command like they're going to command more. And Everybody forgets about Hollywood Higgins. Well, and well, that's what I'm saying. That actually just furthers my point because people are going to give so much attention to Jarvis Landry, to Odell Beckham Jr. That guys like Rashard Higgins, sure. Hollywood Higgins get open a lot. Then you you do the same thing for Anthony Schwartz. He can come in and they can just say, "Hey, run down the field." These two guys are going to take some guys off of you. You just run. Just run, run straight, and you might be open. And I know the Browns, they typically like to do those little, uh, what do we call the jet, the touch pass. I've seen them do that a couple times throughout yeah. the year. So he's a good guy to run that with. The pitch pass. The, little, the yeah. little pitch pass that you like to do, that little little touch that uh, I always— The run that counts as a pass. Yes. I, yeah. I always uh, associate that with West Virginia because uh, Geno Smith got like 800 yards against Clemson in an Orange Bowl running that pass. And I think he threw the ball down the field maybe like all of five yards and was still just racking up yards from it. But yeah, I like, I like this selection. I think Anthony Schwartz is a good fit. I like it better to the Browns than I would like it to somewhere like my Saints because the Saints— they don't have the receiver depth right now that the Browns have. Very it, few teams have the Cleveland Browns receiver depth. Yeah, and like it's like if Anthony Schwartz goes to the Falcons, you like that better because all those guys are going to command such such attention that Anthony Schwartz, you you know, he's more of a developmental guy. Like he's not going to come in and be ready to go, especially in terms of route tree, in terms of you know just flat out being a better receiver because he really wasn't used as a flat-out receiver at Auburn. This way he can come in, work out some of the kinks in his game, and in the meantime, oh, yeah, they're going to pay attention to the other two, three guys and even the tight ends on this roster. roster. And, oh yeah, oh, yeah, the two running backs, they're also pretty good at catching the ball out of backfield. People forget that Nick Chubb is actually really good catching the ball out of the backfield. So Anthony Schwartz can come in and just kind of go under the radar, work on his game, and then the next thing you know, He's beat you for a 67-yard touchdown pass for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, you talk about receiving threats for the Cleveland Browns. You look at Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, and Hollywood Higgins all in front of them on the receiver depth chart. But don't forget about some significant snaps that we saw from rookie receiver last year, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Don't be forgetting about DPJ. DPJ can ball. He had a couple of good games last year. So there are four receivers right there outside of Anthony Schwartz already that I believe to be, I would expect to be safe. I don't expect those guys 
any of those receivers obviously Odell and Jarvis will make the roster Higgins was kind of in and out of the lineup early in the season last year it took him a little while to get back I don't know what that was for he he bided his time though and he made mid-season to late season he really made the most of it and I think he's safe as well I don't expect him to go anywhere at the moment and then I think Donovan Peoples-Jones compared to his production last year and how old he is I think he'll be back as well so you got four guys right there already making up the receiver room and you don't draft a guy in the third round and then he doesn't make the roster Anthony Schwartz is going to make the roster so I think you're looking at those are your five guys right now out of the gates for the Cleveland Browns all who can catch the ball but if you're talking about high profile targets you got Odell and you've got Jarvis Landry and then the tight ends Hooper he garners a lot of attention really after Odell left after well not left but after he got hurt and he was unable to finish the rest of the season due to his injury in week four week five Hooper became the second biggest threat for the Browns after Jarvis Landry and then you've also got David Njoku who always seems to be a red zone threat You've got a, a plethora of guys who can catch the ball and are consistent threats against any and are matchup nightmares against any pass defense in the NFL. The big thing is, has been, is Baker on or not? Is the switch on or not? Can he get the ball to his guys? And we saw him take a big step forward. And then you mentioned the backfield as well. Nick Chubb doesn't catch a whole lot of passes anything that they're having him do is typically just your standard slip screen out of the backfield but kareem hunt they'll split out at the x they'll straight up motion him out of the backfield and they'll put him out wide and they'll run wheel routes with him they'll throw him screens out of the backfield they get kareem hunt involved as a receiver that is your third down running back sometimes we see nick chubb disappear for an entire quarter because what kareem hunt can offer you with the Cleveland Browns so going back to Schwartz and that's not a bad thing that's a great thing and that's that's a great thing to be able to spell out a guy like Nick Chubb who's taken most of that beating and going back to this is this is a dream for me I get to open a show talking about the Cleveland Browns but you go into how, how does this all come back around full circle for Anthony Schwartz Anthony Schwartz is towards the bottom of the list right now for the Cleveland Browns in terms of targets and I think it's interesting that the Cleveland Browns used a third round selection on this type of role or or the type of role that Anthony Schwartz will exist in next year because it's it's slightly elevated above a gadget player he's not going to play a significant role in the receiver room next year I've already listed Odell Beckham Jr. Jarvis Landry Hollywood Higgins Austin Hooper I would probably say that David Njoku and Kareem Hunt as well all are targets ahead of Anthony Schwartz and don't forget about the third the third string tight end and Harrison Bryant he can catch the ball yeah, too forget Not about Harrison because Bryant. typically Njoku he's struggled with in, with some injuries throughout right. his, so you can and also they drafted Harrison Bryant out of last year's class and he won the best tight end award the previous year in college football so the Browns are loaded in a receiver room and they've got a quarterback that's getting the ball to him and they've got a a coach and a play caller in Kevin Stefanski that he's he's their head coach but he also calls the plays for him he has revolutionized this offense and has actually made it productive with all these players Freddie Kitchens couldn't do that and now Stefanski is getting the most out of him so I trust that he's going to get the most out of Anthony Schwartz the reason why I say it's interesting is you don't see too many teams draft players in the third round to fulfill a gadget role you don't see that that often, but the Browns are in this unique situation where they said, "Look, this guy can make this guy can add another dimension to our offense." That like they're already peaking out on star power. I mean, it's it's the if it's it's the best backfield in the AFC at least. Maybe even it's up there in the top three or top top two backfields in all of 
the NFL when you're talking about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and what yeah, they like can I, offer you. I can't think of many backfields that are better than that. That's I right. mean, like off the top of my head, like I would say Cleveland's backfield is the best. So your running game's already excellent. Your receivers, you really can't name a better tandem one and two in the AFC either between Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. We've already talked about the depth there. This offense is finally, like like you would think, based on the talent that they have, that they've already reached peak peak production. What else could they add to this offense to make it better? So they went out and added a gadget guy that actually is going to add another dimension to it because of the different things that he could do. He's a versatile player. He's able to run the ball. He gives you this top-end speed that, that did not exist on your roster already. So I, although it was not a need for the Browns, and me as a Browns fan, I wasn't thrilled about drafting receiver this early in the draft if it was anybody other than Anthony Schwartz I would have been displeased but Anthony Schwartz I believe this is more of a this is more of a fit for Anthony Schwartz than maybe it is even for the Browns and it's like you can get a gadget player right now that like the way I see it is you draft him as a gadget player right now but he could develop like the all right, what what's the what's the worst you get all right you get a, a fast gadget player for a couple seasons maybe he doesn't develop Okay, this like you're not hurting for a receiver, so that's fine. Like you, you can take a swing on this guy. And what's if it, he develops, what's his upside? Like a Tyreek Hill just burning you down the field type of guy, right? And Odell and Jarvis, they're getting up there now. Yeah, they're they are at they're in their prime at the moment, but they're in the latter end of their prime. They are they are they're now getting past the halfway point at the top of the hill, right? And yes. you see more and more injuries for those two players at this point in their career. They're not going to be with you forever, and. Once Odell's contract is up, Odell's probably gone. I, I don't see him staying in Cleveland for the rest of his career because how often do you see that? He's also, the personality would lend its hand to be a little bit of a journeyman towards the end of his career. I don't know if he's, he's necessarily the most allegiant player in the world. Same with same with Jarvis Landry. I don't know if we see Jarvis Landry spend the rest of his career in the NFL. I would say he's probably a little bit more loyal and out of the news than Odell Beckham Jr. is, but and I don't believe Odell Beckham Jr. is as big of a locker room problem as most people w- were saying that he was. Maybe it was just the coaching staffs that he was butting heads with. I'm not sure because it's it's worked out great with him and Stefanski right now. But the point is, and that you and I are trying to illustrate is, those guys aren't going to be around forever. And if you miss here, it doesn't kill you. But if you hit, you've got a receiver that's going to help you replace some guys that aren't going to be here for forever. Yeah, like it's not it's not a bad like you have the receiver depth. If you're the Cleveland Browns, you have the ability to take a swing on a guy like this. If he doesn't work out, you still got a guy who can fulfill some good screens, some sweeps, the jet pot, like the little jet touch pass, gadget player. Maybe you can convert him into a punt kick return type of guy. I don't think he has that kind of game in him, but he's fast enough where you might can get that out of him. Worst case, he's a gunner on special teams. Like if he just completely falls out. But best case scenario, you can return kicks. Yeah, like yeah, if you can develop that kind, you can find something for him to do right now because mm-hmm. you don't need it right now. You don't need him to be a number two, number three receiver. No. But if he develops into that, then you you hit a gym in the third round of the draft. Like they have that ability, and that's what's that's what's good whenever your roster has some depth to it because you can take swings on guys like this, and if it hits, you just keep reloading and keep going. If you miss, it's not really hurting you that much. There aren't many low-risk, high-reward players in the NFL draft. And, the no, Cle- no. and Cleveland was able to find one. Yeah, and, and it works out mainly because of their position. Like, I don't, I don't like that, that kind of low-risk, high-upside for my team, the Saints, because there's already guys like that on the roster with Deontay Harris, Marquez Callaway. It just doesn't make as much sense. Cleveland Browns have that ability. Also, 
Before we go to break, Cleveland Browns absolutely nailed the draft. I think they did a very good job with their draft. They got a lot of good value. Dude, I was I was yelling excitement when Koromoa was available still in the second round because I wanted that guy. That was a guy that I would have considered in the, the first round. Oh, he had first round talent, and you got Man. him at not just the second round. Pick 52. That yeah. Pick 52, that means you were like into and, and, the second round. And the trade that you made to move up a couple of spots to get Koromoa, you really only moved down a few spots. The way the front office described it, you really moved down like 10 spots in the fourth round. After you divvy up all the picks that you traded with the Bears, you really only moved down like 10 spots in the fourth round. And you're like, okay, I moved down 10 spots in the fourth round to go up 10 spots in the second round to get the guy I wanted in the first round to go alongside a beast at cornerback and, and Greg Newsome. I mean, the Browns were the Browns were playing 3D chess. I mean, like, what, what was... We talked about this plenty of times off air. What was the biggest need the Browns had? What was their like biggest weakness? Linebacker, man. And, I, I and they got like, one of the, I felt like linebacker was a huge issue. And they got one of the better ones in the draft. Yeah. Like, I mean, you in a relatively hit weak linebacker class. Defensive yeah. tackle and linebacker were pretty weak. And they were able to go and get a guy who I think can produce right out the gates for you. And join some guys that I'm still excited about. I, I like Mac Wilson a lot in Cleveland, Alabama product i think he was fifth round maybe fifth sixth round for the browns a couple years ago i like mac wilson a lot i think he's shown flashes here and there and jacob hillman friend of the program's been on a couple of times he's he's a he's a golf guru i I say that he's he's a bogey golfer which is far better than me and uh golfed in high school and whatnot and and like i said far far better golfer than me and and when you go and when you go and golf with people that know a thing or two about the game and like competed actually you know you listen to their advice and they can make you better and something that he has said to me that has stuck with me and I'm still waiting on this to happen but he says you've got flashes and over time you're going to see more and more flashes and then one day it just all it all comes together and, and you break through I'm still looking to break through I still see some flashes here and there as as does everybody that golfs I'm sure uh, but but for Mac Wilson, I look at it that way. The guy is showing flashes, and every year there's more and more. If he can avoid injuries, which he struggled with last year, the guy can put it all together, and I think he can be an all-around linebacker, coverage, also run-stopping. He can be an excellent piece for the Browns. And then beside him, Sione Takitaki's fine, but uh, this is a good – this is a guy who I think could take Takitaki's spot in Cormoa. Oh, yeah. So that that would be huge because Takitaki's been a little hit, hit or miss for the Browns, but – this is not a Browns show. We still, we're still. We were just talking about Anthony Schwartz, and we had. That's to, right. We had to pat that. We had to give them the respect because I thought the Browns crushed the draft. That's right. They absolutely did crush the draft, and we are going to talk about the other Auburn draft selections throughout the show. Jamie and Sherwood, KJ Britt, as well as Seth Williams, all landing in the NFL across day three over on Saturday. But when we come back, Auburn has had some other players enter the transfer portal. We'll tell you about those guys and how that affects the various sides of the football and their position groups that they will be exiting from. All that and more on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. That'll get you through to On the Line. Coming up in eight minutes, we're going to have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on the show with us. Talk to us about that Alabama draft class loaded. So many Alabama players in the NFL. I'll tell you, when the Browns draft an Alabama player, I'm like, yes. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you love it when your team drafts one. It's The way I see it is if it's Alabama, it's Ohio State, and Clemson. Even if they're in the late rounds and they're not a guy who was just over the top, I'm kind of that way with Georgia defensive players because typically the Georgia defensive players come in to the league and even if they're not they're just, ready to go, man. Hey, like, even if they're not all stars, like they don't come in and just they absolutely at least dominate. Can tackle. They at least come in and provide good like value. Like you have guys that come in, even the even the lower guys on all those four rosters come in and do good things. And typically, you get excited when I see a fifth or sixth round pick come from one of those schools. Like there was probably something that just they didn't develop. They might have had some injury issues, but you're still sitting there going, "I'll take it. I'll take it." We'll keep breaking down each of Auburn's draft selections throughout the show, but we're going to pivot here, talking about some transfer portal talk now. There's some news out as well that McKenna Dowell for Auburn softball is entering the transfer portal, and it's midseason. So that's something that's come up recently since we've gone on air, but Auburn football's got some guys in the transfer portal post-spring practice. Started out the news today was Auburn defensive tackle Jay Hardy entered the transfer portal but also just a little bit before we went on air quarterback Chael Garnett looking for a different place to play and after we really didn't see him play at all whatsoever in the spring game that does not come as a shock to me yeah I mean I, I'm I'm not necessarily shocked by either of the like any of the transfers I'm that not we're having. shocked like, like no especially if you're Garnett. I'm not shocked by Jaron Handy either yeah like Jaron Handy I'm not shocked by Garnett because if Gar like Garnett, what he got in, what, like one or two plays at the end of the game, like the end of the spring game? Like you're looking at this from a player perspective and you're thinking, I would like to go somewhere and play. Everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to play. And if you don't think that's going to happen, and you can kind of see the writing on the wall in this situation where you're thinking, okay, even if Bo Nix leaves, I'm still behind Demetrius Davis, who's ahead of me. I'm still going to, you know, Holden Garner's coming in. So, like, where am I going to, where am I going to fit? Question. Do you think these players, Jaron Handy, well, we'll limit this to Jaron Handy and Jay Hardy. I'll also say Chael Garnett, but I mean, he really wasn't, he was not a major player to to get any type of playing time ever at Auburn throughout his career. Everybody always mentions, well, don't forget Chael Garnett's in the in the quarterback room. And I'm like, okay. It's like saying, don't forget that Jonathan Wallace was in there. And like, he was a fantastic person, but like, he wasn't going to get valuable playing experience. But specifically, these three players here, because they're all post-spring, if the most recent decision on transfers, if that wasn't made, are these guys still on the roster right now? Because I think so. I think so, too. I think that it helps, it helps move guys along after spring. Like you can, you can look at a situation and think, I just went through the spring. It doesn't look like I'm going to be playing that much. Like Even within like not even just this season. It just doesn't seem that there's a, a path for me to take. Because a lot of these guys, when they commit or come into a situation, things are fluid. Things change. You saw like you saw what happened with Trey Alexander in basketball. He commits to Auburn. Then all of a sudden, you have all these guards start flowing into Auburn afterwards. And he's like, where do I fit in into this? Like I, I don't see a spot for me to really get into doing anything. And basketball is a little bit different because you kind of usually think of it as one season sample sizes because a lot of these guys can leave and come very quickly but you look at it from a football player perspective and you think I just don't see where I fit in I don't see a path for me to play and I I want to play football I have an option to go somewhere that needs me a little bit more even if it's a step down from Auburn and I could actually play because everybody's goal is to get to the league 
If you're playing football, typically you want to get to the NFL. You can't really get to the NFL if you're not playing. I mean, there's been a few situations of that. Matt Castle being a backup at USC, getting drafted, or you know, going and having a career. But like most of the time, you have to play to get to the league, and that's what most of these kids want to do. They want to do what's better for them because, I mean, you can sit on a roster for four years and not really get any playing time, but that doesn't benefit you. It doesn't benefit the team. So, yeah, I don't think that – I think these guys are still on Auburn's roster if that transfer rule was not – you know, like was not in play. Unfortunately, I think sometimes if a guy competes and they're good enough and they show they're good enough to get a starting spot, that almost helps them make it to the next level more so than avoiding competition altogether and automatically going somewhere else. Now, they could play right away, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best fit for them to make it to the next level because you leave Auburn that has a lot of eyes on it, comparatively speaking, to transferring transferring to University of South Florida, right? That's so true. Yeah, there, I mean, there's that's give fair. and take, and I think what we're seeing right now isn't necessarily positive. I, it, I'm, I'm for the rule, but at the same time, and I have multiple reasons for I'm kind of for the rule. A, it's making the offseason more interesting. This is fun. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's free agency and we get stuff to talk about. It makes, it's a blast. I would say it makes our job easier. It's we, a blast. I, I said we get to come in here during you know what May and talk talk football because people are transferring. Like it gives us stuff to talk about. It's exciting to see it. But I, I agree with what you said. I think it's 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 a good thing and a bad thing. I like it for the player. I like it for the players because if you want to go somewhere and you don't feel that – because coaches can come and go freely. Sometimes a lot of these kids commit to a university because they fall in love with the coaching staff and then they just up and uproot and they're like, oh, well, I'm just kind of stuck here now. And you get to leave. Or, you know, other situations happen. Family members, you want to be closer to home, what have you. That's awesome. And then there's sometimes where competition is good and it does help you and it it does – it does kind of stink that we're losing some of that competition. But then there are some times where you look at it and you just get buried under a depth chart. Sure. Like there's sometimes where there's sometimes where even the like the competition isn't there. Like you actually cannot compete. You're just buried underneath. You think of an Alvin Kamara type guy. He was buried in that room and he wanted to play. I like that it's an option. Yes. But I wish the players would maybe pump the brakes a little bit. Maybe exercise some patience. And that's fair. Just that's another fair. year, maybe. Maybe that could help. But it's uh, it'll level out over time, probably. We'll just have to see. On the other side of this raid, we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports joining us on the show. We'll be back in just a few moments. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Headed to the phone lines now. We got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on the line with us. Jeremy, how you doing today, my man? Noah, doing well, Levi. Hope you're doing well, man. As, as, uh, after the draft, everybody's enjoying whether guys win. I know Alabama fans are happy about the number of players that they got off the board in the 2021 draft. But what, what's going on on the plane, guys? What's the vibe this week? Well, everybody's super pumped about Anthony Schwartz and Seth Williams is everybody's still of the draft. <laughs> and he's going to have Aaron Rodgers throwing in the ball for too long, so he's probably happy too. 
Yeah, I, I thought the Seth. I thought Seth Williams is a great addition. He went to Denver, right? Before I go off on he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I thought he was he's a great addition to Denver. They already have Jerry Judy to throw the ball to. Seth Williams was a guy. I think that if he has Mac Jones throwing him the ball instead of Bo Nix, and if he's playing under Steve Sarkeesian instead of Gus Malzahn, he might be a first round draft pick. So that's a pretty good steal, I think, for Denver. And I think they're going to have two really good wideouts. Well, going back to the quarterback that you just named, Mac Jones. Of course, this is something that you and I, when we were doing the podcast together back in the fall, you and I pegged this. We said Mac Jones, next starting quarterback for the New England Patriots, and you can just see it now, him taking Cam Newton's job, and that's something Alabama fans can hold over Auburn fans' heads. How soon do you expect it to be for Mac Jones to rise to the top of the Patriots' depth chart? I'm not sure Belichick's going to throw him to the Wolves, guys. I think that you know if Cam's playing well, I mean, I think it would be a really good decision if Cam's playing well and he's seeing the field game and he's reading the defense as well, that you, that you let him be back there as your quarterback and see what he can do, and eventually you just bring Mac Jones along. I mean, but not only would Mac Jones be unseating Cam Newton, he'd also be jumping Jarrett Stidham, so he could have a chance to leapfrog two Auburn quarterbacks in that situation. But, I mean, that's Bill Belichick's Bill Belichick. He's the GOAT for a reason. He's going to play the best guy quarterback, and that might not be Mac Jones right now. It may not be Mac Jones ever, but it does look like um, that is his seat, and it's going to be his for the take-in, at least after a couple games. He may start day one, but Mac Jones, by the end of the year, is probably the starting quarterback for the Patriots. After seeing a school record, six first-round picks go for Alabama on Thursday night, where does this draft class rank for you in recent years? Oh, it's, it's number one. I mean, you got to think about this. Six guys off one team go in the first round. Had a chance to be seven or eight. I know I said last week if Landon Dickerson doesn't tear his ACL, he's in the first round. Chris Barmore, he got a first-round grade, ended up doing pick 38. I mean, he's six picks away right there from being in the first round as well. So, I mean, that's eight guys in the first 38. Very impressive. And the, the crazy part about Alabama is is you go back and you kind of look at the depth chart from spring and you still say this team just lost eight out of the top 38 picks in the NFL draft and they're still the favorite to win the national title next year. I mean, that's just, that's just what Nick Saban's done in Tuscaloosa and uh, just, just so impressive. And, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a drop-off, probably a learning curve, but by the end of the year they have a chance to be just as good. So tell me about one of the guys you feel like got drafted by Alabama a little bit underrated, and why is it Thomas Fletcher? Well, Thomas Fletcher, I mean, he, what's crazy is Thomas Fletcher gets off the board and Dylan Moses doesn't, which uh, is kind of crazy. But Thomas Fletcher, I don't remember a bad snap. And I know that's easy to say, you know, he's a long snapper. He has one job to do, but I don't, I don't remember a bad snap from Fletcher. But I do think out of this entire draft class outside of the wide receivers and Mike Jones, that Chris Barmore had a chance to be a dominant man on the interior defensive line for many, many years in the NFL. And where he went at 38 to the Patriots, Belichick's out, he's just licking his chops knowing that Chris Barmore, who at the end of the year was maybe the best defensive lineman in college football, slips to him at pick number 38. So Belichick goes to Alabama guys in the first two rounds, gets back, gets Barmore, and he's probably absolutely thrilled about it. What's it about that connection? Like, I know he's friends with Nick Saban, good friends with Nick Saban. They coached in the NFL. Did they coach in the NFL together at one point? Does anybody know that? Oh, yeah. He was, he was, Brown staff. DC while he was, what? you know, Brown's guy, Noah? Yeah, that's, that's right. right. He's on the Brown yeah. staff. 
Look, man, that was a long time ago. Long, long time ago. Yeah, but was- you guys are right. Browns let both of those coaches go. Hey, maybe we're responsible. Well, it, yeah, but that, I mean, that is the connection. But I think they're just good players. And I think Bill Belichick trusts Nick Saban. Listen, it hasn't truly backfired on him. I mean, he's got one of the best linebackers in the game, and Dante Hightower, who sat out last year due to COVID. I mean, he's had some guys on his teams, and they've won Super Bowls with Bama guys on the roster. And Bill Belichick's thinking to have some disciplined players. They come into the league without a lot of problems there. Probably from a weightlifting perspective, they're probably just a higher echelon than most. And I, I think he's just comfortable thinking that Nick Saban is uh, coached. Between Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, two receivers that were selected in the draft only like four spots away from each other, which receiver do you expect to have an easier transition to the league? Oh, it'll be Jalen Waddell. He's going to have a an offense set up around the RPO. He's going to have a gunslinger at quarterback. And, you know, it still remains to be seen how good Tua is going to be in the NFL. But Jalen Waddell is going to immediately be a featured receiver. And when you look at who's throwing the ball, we, we know that in college Tua was a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. So Jalen Hurts, a tad limited in what he can do, too, as a gunslinger. Is he going to be able to get Jalen the ball? I think so. But I just think from that perspective that Jalen Waddle is going to have more opportunities to be better than Devontae Smith is going to have, especially in their rookie season. What are your expectations for Dylan Moses after signing the undrafted free agent, you know, signing to the Jaguars? Because he, you know, before injury, he was one of the best defensive players in the country. What are your expectations at the next level for him? Uh, my expectations are that Dylan Moses is an elite athlete, and the NFL doesn't like taking a lot of risk on guys um, that have been injured, especially in a spot at middle linebacker where that's your guy that you're expecting to lead, lead the team in tackles. You're expecting your middle linebacker to be a three-down linebacker, be on the play every single field, or every single be on the field every single play, rather. So, I mean, I, I can kind of see why he may have slipped. I can't believe he went undrafted, but you also got to realize Dylan Moses had an insurance policy, and he was able to cash in, and he's going to be able to secure a contract in the NFL, and I think he'll be on an NFL roster for a while. And Dylan Moses still has a chance if, if he's good enough. He'll be a start linebacker in the NFL. Guys, that's the good thing about all these pro leagues. They don't care how big you are, small you are, race, ethnicity. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is are you good enough to be on the field and play? And the best guy plays 100% of the time in the NFL. And if Dylan Moses is the best guy, he's going to be on a roster and he's going to play. Switching gears to college football as we're speaking with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. Switching gears to college football. What's your opinion on the state of collegiate athletics in regards to the transfer portal? A couple more Auburn guys entered the portal today. Kind of seems like guys are, are jumping at it, right? Like at the very first opportunity, they are ent- entering the, the mystical transfer portal to go to supposedly greener pastures. What's your opinion on this first couple of weeks we've seen and, and really this first season that we've seen of an of an amped up transfer portal. Well, you know, a lot of people don't like Nick Saban, but Nick Saban most most of the time he's right on things like this. Bad programs are going to lose good players, and those good players are going to want to go to good programs, and the good programs are going to lose bad players, and then they're going to go to those bad programs. That's what Nick Saban said, and it's going to be true. Bad players leave Alabama, they ended up on somebody else's roster. Landon Dickerson leaves a bad program in Florida State. He ends up on Alabama's roster. He's a national champion and a second-round draft pick, and he's probably going to be starting across the offensive line for the Eagles next year. It's a disaster for college sports. 
I'm a big players guy, and I'm not one of those guys that acts like players don't get anything out of it. Listen, we went to college, Noah. We 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 didn't go on free rides. Education is very valuable. I mean, so that's and especially the guys on scholarship, they get to eat right, free workouts. I know they do it for the game, and the game's making a lot of money off of them. And I think there's a, a legitimate way to compensate players while they're in college. But a lot of these players, young guys like us, making life-changing decisions to bail on a school just because some other school tells us we might play at that school before we play at the school that we're at, um, it's, it's a big problem. And a lot of these players that go in the portal, I mean, they may not even get picked up. We've seen it in the NFL draft the last few years. A lot of juniors coming out, and they don't even get calls from teams. They don't even go as UDFAs. Um, it's a big problem, and it's going to be kind of compelling to see how college football landscape adjusts adjust to this because the rich are going to get get richer and the poorer in college football are going to get poor because there's nothing stopping a two-star that went to Vanderbilt who blows up his freshman year from transferring to Alabama and then immediately being just a dominant player on Alabama's roster and making Alabama better. So I just think that a lot of people, and Nick Saban's against all this, but it's going to make the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, the Georgias, the LSUs better, and everybody below them is just going to get worse. Jeremy, I appreciate you hopping on today with us. Tell everybody where they can find all the content we're putting out on Radio Alabama Sports and where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, go to RadioAlabamaSports.net, all the content, Noah, Hannah, and the rest of the team put together. It's a great website for local high school sports and college sports across the region. You can follow me specifically on Twitter at IMJ underscore law. Appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon. And uh, I, I don't know what the weather's like in Sylacauga right now, but uh, it's kind of shady outside. So I uh, hope, hope you stay well, my man. It's sunny, 75, and we just went to Bluebell and got us some ice cream. So we're having a great day, Noah. Well, I guess I need, I need to make a trip up there, man. I need to make a trip <laughs> See you guys. See you, buddy. <laughs> That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on the line with us. He brings up guys leaving for supposed greener pastures and then it, and then it not working out, even going on at the NFL level. Christian Tut's one of those guys, someone that yeah. hasn't been talked about at all over the weekend, but he's not a UDFA right now, and he is not – he's not on a roster and he's not able to come back to college football and we kind of thought that might happen we talked that he might not even be a, an undrafted free agent type of guy because he really wasn't on radar it's like even when even guys that we were weren't high on like Eli Stove you still expected him to sign you an undrafted free agent because you know long-term college player provides you know a very good presence in the locker room type of guy good practice squad player you, you like you you expected him but Christian Tut like he wasn't even on that radar and it sometimes that kind of stuff just backfires on you. On the other side of this break, we'll continue to talk NFL draft. Once again, thank you to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for joining us on the show. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. It's how to get in touch with us. We'll see you on the other side of this break. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama. On 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Back on On the Line, Noah Garner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for joining us in that previous segment. Talking Alabama's NFL draft class. We'll come back to that in just a moment, but first... Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. 
Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. The Voice has a new episode at 7 on NBC. Three new shows on CBS starting at 7 with The Neighborhood. At 7.30, Bob Hart's Abishola. And at 8, All Rise. Some movie selections for tonight. Mr. Incredible is left at home with the kids as Elastigirl becomes the face of superheroes. Incredibles 2 is on ABC at 7. Back-to-back National Treasure movies on Freeform. National Treasure 1 is on at 4.30. And then the sequel, Book of at 7.30. An alien symbiote takes over a human, Venom, is on FX at 7. A pair of Bourne movies is on Sci-Fi, The Bourne Identity is on at 5, and The Bourne Supremacy is on at 7.30. There are two NBA games on ESPN. Beginning at 6.30, the Golden State Warriors and the New Orleans Pelicans square off. At 9, head to the West Coast for the Denver Nuggets at the Los Angeles Lakers. NHL Hockey is on NBC Sports at 7 with the Vegas Golden Knights at the Minnesota Wild. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. That was what's on TV tonight. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Once again, a big thank you to Jeremy Law for Radio Alabama Sports for joining us in that previous segment. Go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama as well as on Facebook, on the various Facebook pages, ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central Alabama, and Radio Alabama Sports is all where you can watch the show Alabama's draft selection, six guys in a record setting, a school record setting, first round. Six players go in the first round. A lot of guys. Which of these Alabama selections do you believe to be the best fit in the draft? Best fit? I mean, there's actually a couple of them because that's really hard. I think Mac Jones fits well They all went to pretty good situations, I would say, other than Leatherwood to the Raiders. And that was just a... It was a weird one because he it was just it felt more of a reach on the Raiders part. Not that, that he doesn't fit well because you know they had some shifting of the lines in Las Vegas, so that gives him a, a chance to immediately start playing very soon. Right, and it's hard as the wind kicks up outside. Man, uh, it, it is it is just monsooning outside right now of it, the studio. But it, it's like offensive linemen can succeed outside and in spite of their situation right yes offensive linemen can show out on the worst team in the nfl and there are a few examples better than joe thomas and his career with the cleveland browns he went through the worst stretch of cleveland browns football history and he consistently regarded as one of the top two top three tackles yep. in the nfl it doesn't matter he was what's like, going on around you with the offensive linemen he was the lone bright spot on those brown right. teams for like you know one of the few bright spots you always People thought wore about joe it. thomas jerseys they and still how oft- do how often do you do that with a lineman that's very rare and yep. he was he was the face of the cleveland browns like you when you thought cleveland browns football through that pretty bad stretch you were like joe thomas is that guy on that team but yeah none of these guys they're all in good situations. Jalen Waddle, he's going into an offense where you got two. We just, you know, Jeremy just laid all that out there for Jalen Waddle getting to play. Devontae Smith, he's back with, you know, he's back or he's with Jalen Hurts now. They needed a receiver. I'm not psyched about this one though. I like that one. I think it fits well because who else are they going to throw it to? He's there. You got to throw it to him. Sure, my my issues are more on the not not that the Eagles needed Devontae Smith, but my issues are more. I'm still not sold that oh, Jalen Hurts can get him the football. I'm I'm sold on Jalen Hurts. I think he's going to be a, a good. He's not going to be a top. You know, I don't think he'll be a top ten guy, but he'll be a very above average guy, at least in my opinion. What worries me about this is you've got a receiver who now has to figure some things out at the at the next level. People are talking about his size. And I think Devontae Smith will overcome his size, but there are still some things that make 
Jalen Waddell a more attractive pro prospect in comparison to his Alabama receiver counterpart that is going to make things easier for Jalen Waddell to transfer oh, yeah. or, or to transition more easily to the NFL than Devontae Smith. So not only do you have Devontae Smith still trying to figure some things out, but you also have a quarterback that really has limited playing times, only played in a few games, and he's still certainly trying to figure things out. And now NFL teams have film on him. And they really didn't have film on him last year. That is true, because you see that Saints game. He comes in, and he absolutely lights up the Saints defense, because that was the first game he started. Nobody was preparing for him. Oh, absolutely not. They weren't prepared for him. I mean, Dennis Allen also always refuses to put a spy against any mobile quarterback, which is beyond me when the dude is just running all over you. That's a different story for a different day. But I think one of Jalen Hurts' biggest issues last year, line was hurt. They didn't block very well. You had a guy in Miles Sanders who got hurt early and didn't really play that well until down the stretch, so the running game wasn't helping him out. And who was he throwing to? Everybody was hurt all year. You're throwing to guys that – you're throwing to a former Houston quarterback and Greg Ward Jr. most of the time. I think having receivers and having a better line, which you go to their second pick in Landon Dickerson, who I think he fits – he's he's just an instant if – if he recovers from that injury – like, I mean, he's going to play all over that line because you've seen that the Eagles line has been hurt. New coaching staff, right? Yes. In Philly. I, I, that scares me, too. I, I, it scares me because the head coach was evaluating prospects by doing rock, paper, scissors with them to see who could beat them in rock, paper, scissors to test their competitiveness. The new guy? The new head coach, yeah. That, that, that kind of stuff scares me because that, that just seems like, I don't, it seems like dumb coach mentality. It just seems like, they beat me in rock, paper, scissors. We got to draft this guy. Like, I, like that's just weird. Like, I, I don't know. I can't. I can't believe that that's legitimately. It's a, like it's a thing. Like it was re- legitimately reported by blue check marks on Twitter. So it's interesting. It's a thing that's just like weird. It scares me because the Eagles are showing some instability right now yes. in their franchise. And as I've seen with my own franchise with the Cleveland Browns, it's easy to have coaches out the door within one two seasons, and then these guys careers get swept up in the turbulent nature of the franchise then what do you know three four years of their careers gone and they've done nothing and then sometimes they reignite somewhere else but their their value drops rapidly True. as their careers stay stagnant so that's my worry with Devonte smith the so most it's a, it's a good fit for the eagles to get him because they he was needed him but for Devonte smith he might have went to a worse situation he definitely went to a worse situation than waddle did like you yeah. like you like where waddle is comparatively to Devontae Smith you like Waddle even better to the receiver drafted ahead of him in my opinion in Jamar Chase because at least you know that the line in Miami is pretty okay I don't trust that Joe Burrow is going to have time to get the ball to Jamar Chase so you kind of like Jalen Waddle's <laughs> spot a little bit better Mac Jones goes to a good situation in the sense that the Patriots have never failed to get the most out of their starting quarterback whoever it is get the most they I'm not saying that most. it's always great but they get That's the fair. most out of whoever is taking snaps and I I like Najee to Pittsburgh uh maybe a little early for me because I don't like taking running backs that early in the first round but I'm gonna see the guy in my nightmares you look at what Pittsburgh typically does with running backs Najee Harris he reminds you of what Le'Veon Bell used to do for him a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield who can run between the tackles a pretty patient runner guy who's hard to bring down I, I, I see it. I think it fits well. The only issue I have with that is, what's the quarterback situation look like? And is that going to impact Najee Harris's ability? Because they might just load the box on the dude. 
That's a good point. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. Still scares me because he's oh, coming yeah, into he, my division. Going into your division, he's a good player. He's and a great you, player. And you know I was like leading the charge on the Najee Harris-Heisman campaign, so we'll see how that goes. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Four more minutes till the top of hour number two. Back in just a moment. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com. And on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. From our studio in Auburn, Alabama, it is raining right now, and I hope everybody's staying dry. Hope nobody's blown away. Hope everybody's doing just fine out there on their Monday afternoon. And our phone lines are open. If you want to call in, like I said, phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. Going back to how we opened up this show today, analyzing each of Auburn's draft selections we spent a whole segment on Anthony Schwartz. So this is great. Recycling material here. We're not going to talk about Schwartz. We've got three late round selections here, late draft selections. And we're going to start it off, hour number two, discussing the next selection in the draft, the second one to go off the board for the Tigers, Jamie and Sherwood, fifth round to the New York Jets. I, I like the fit because it's a Robert Sala-led team now. Like I, I like what he does with defense. He always gets the most out of his defense. And I it's kind of weird to talk about fit this late in the draft, too. Yeah, like, it, like... It's like, because none of these guys... Like, some of these guys may not make a team. And yeah, that's true. I mean, you have a lot of fifth round and below picks that don't make a team. But, Jamie, you know, Jamie Sherwood was a guy who he had round two, round three upside. If, you know, they were talking about if he came back to Auburn and played well, he could be in that round two, round three next year. And you who's the Clemson guy? Isaiah uh, Isaiah Simmons. From, yeah, yeah. They were and, talking about him in that same in that same tone. Yeah, because, but not that same level of yes. of draft caliber. And not a first round selection. And it's because Jamie Sherwood is versatile. He's he's built like a modern linebacker, but played safety. And I think Robert Sala, who is a defensive minded coach, he came from the 49ers, their defensive coordinator spot. I think he saw a guy in the fifth round who had second to third round upside, and he had one of the biggest things that you like from a guy that's built like Jamie Sherwood, versatility. He's a guy who I think will more than likely play linebacker, but you could also throw him in some of those nickel and dime safety looks because he does know how to cover. Like I think he's he can develop into a really good linebacker in the NFL because one of the big things that people don't do, like one of the big things that linebackers need to do now, they need to cover. And Jamie Sherwood is a guy who can cover and he's to a degree, he covers better than most linebackers you're getting in the fifth oh, round yeah. 
That, that's what I'm trying to say here. Not like you're he's not, not good at coverage for a safety standards in the NFL, but, but he's good for a linebacker standards, especially in the fifth round of yep. the draft. Like that's a guy that you can get some good. Like he's a guy who the upside for picking him in round five, it's there, and I can understand why you would. Take so you're him. saying the Jets drafted him to play linebacker, and I wouldn't disagree with you there because I was out on the internet looking around to see what the vibe was about this, and several outlets did have him on updated depth charts at linebacker and yeah. possibly being able to make a push for some playing time. I, th- I just think that a lot of NFL guys viewed him more as a linebacker than they did as a safety prospect, or at least from you know the things that I was out there reading and following in the reports that I was reading. I think just most front offices thought this guy was a linebacking prospect. Well, he's 220 pounds. You play box safety for sure. That's pretty much his wheelhouse. Don't make him cover. Bring him closer to the line. Make him defend against the run because that's really his skill set at the moment. If he was a better pass covering safety, then this guy's probably drafted in the third round, maybe even yeah. a little bit higher, like I we were talking that. about. But that's that's not something that was added to his arsenal. And I don't think it's a surprise. It's not a surprise to me that Jamie Sherwood didn't add that. I have not been high up on Auburn's defensive back development post Noah Igbenogany. They I mean, look at this year's draft class. There was yeah. Where are they? Christian Tut, un, not an undrafted free agent, just doesn't Und, even just, get picked up. No, just undrafted. He's not drafted. Sherwood doesn't add anything to his skill set in returning. Smoke Monday didn't either, and he had to come back for another year. And then well, his, he's coming back for a senior year now, so he's got to come back and finish college. Just not super. And, and same with Roger McCreary, he's coming back as well. Like. There were all these different guys, and that's a great thing for Auburn that some of these guys are coming back, but I don't think we saw any of these guys get better under the previous regime with the latest turnovers at, at defensive backs coach. I don't, and, I don't think we've seen that. And that's fair because I don't think that is a thing, and that's honestly, I can under it makes it makes guys like Jamie Sherwood leaving early, guys like Christian Tutte, even though all the reports were that he might not get drafted, and he didn't. I mean, there, there was a reason people said that. It makes sense why they would go to the NFL because they, they look at it and said, oh, well, if I go back, what am I gaining? Like I've seen people who have went back and haven't gained anything. I've seen the development that's happening, and it's, it hasn't been happening. So you leave early, you slide to the fifth round, which a little unideal, but you go to a situation. It's hard to say that. You go to a situation in the Jets with a new head coach who is a defensive-minded guy. You're a very versatile player who has that upside, you you have a chance to put yourself on an NFL roster. Not even just that. You have a chance to work your way into some significant playing time just because of the skill set that you bring to the table, in my opinion, at the linebacking position. Because I think he could come in, play a lot of like that, just a lot of coverage linebacker that he'll have to bulk up a little bit, just a little bit. He'll have to put on a little bit more weight, I think. And then I think he could kind of play all over the field. Like you said, the Isaiah Simmons pick from Arizona different breed because Isaiah Simmons could play just about anywhere on the football field and play it incredibly well and he was just a much better athlete than Sherwood but Sherwood comes into this situation in that same type of space where he can just do a lot of things for you you got a defensive coach and he's going to get the most out of this guy going back to Auburn's defensive backs just to to go back to the point that I was making because I didn't want to just drop that take and then not try and support it a little bit more I'm not super high up on Wesley McGriff's development of defensive backs at Auburn because you look at the stretch that he had with Auburn 
last coached in 2016 before he came back for this second stint obviously from 2019 to 2021 but like who did he develop that went to the next level and like showed out right like I attribute Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean to Greg Brown after him and then most recently Noah Igbenogany as well he was not developed by Wesley McGriff he was there one season under McGriff and Igbenogany had already turned into the player that he was at cornerback prior to that so I was not I've never been overly impressed with McGriff's development he's also kind of he's bounced around here and there wasn't overly successful at Ole Miss as defensive coordinator I wouldn't say that Auburn's DBs have been at their best under Wesley McGriff in comparison to the other defensive backs coaches that have been at Auburn in the Gus Malzahn era I would put McGriff definitely below Greg Brown on that list right so for me just going back to that take that I put out there Auburn's DBs really didn't get better this past year and that's something that hurt Jamie and Sherwood in his draft stock because he didn't add anything he didn't add anything to his to his resume he didn't get better it's a big reason why he stayed as a fifth rounder to the Jets but you know the Jets are going to get some versatility out of him he can play linebacker I still think he's capable of playing safety if you'd be hurting if he was playing safety at the next level because once again he can't cover very well but I think that he's he's capable of playing that position because that's what he played in college his versatility might help him keep around in New York and on a New York defense that's looking to build and you're super high up on Sala the, the coach that came out of nowhere this previous offseason that everybody just kind of fell in love with and, and what's funny is he's coming off of a team that wasn't very good the, the previous year and the same can be said about Kevin Stefanski the, the Vikings didn't have the best offense the year that he left to come to the Browns they were kind of average but guess what he's worked out with the Browns so sometimes guys just impress and are, are really good at presenting their vision and sometimes it just works out and that may be the situation with Salah in New York so Sherwood himself not going into the best situation either the Jets are the worst they're the worst franchise right now I, I and think at the moment there's the a reason they're, there's a reason they're picking number two let's be honest yeah. like you, when you pick number two think in the they're draft, worse think, than the Jaguars yeah I think like just the way that they've been ran because I mean you're you're one Stephon Gilmore incredible diving deflection away from the Jaguars playing in a Super Bowl like you really are you're you're yeah from a couple years ago and you're Blake Bortles away from you know you're a better quarterback than Blake Bortles away from probably playing in the Super Bowl as well so you can't really put the Jag like the Jaguars have been awful we we can all agree with that but the Jets they're even further removed from those AFC championship days with Mark Sanchez and since then it has just been a miserable ride it was them in Cleveland, and Cleveland got off of that ride. And now they're one of the more talented rosters in the NFL, and they're a playoff team. And what I was saying about McGriff, definitely more of a recruiter than a developer as well. So the, this Auburn defensive backfield, I think, succeeded around the guys like Greg Brown, who I was, I was, I was like, man, that's a big loss when he took off for Purdue. I was like, darn, like th- this guy just left to join a team that they just beat by a ton in the Music City Bowl, and I, I thought that was a big loss for Auburn because those DBs flourished under Greg Brown in that secondary. But looking at another guy on defense that took his jump to the next level, talk about a guy who did develop his linebackers, maybe not necessarily that got to the next level, and I think that's more about their physical traits, but it says a lot about Travis Williams that he was able to turn some guys who maybe didn't look like SEC linebackers he turned him into SEC linebackers and also two guys that got drafted. Deshaun Davis and K.J. Britt both got drafted. And K.J. Britt, the latest guy to go, fifth round to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'll tell you, 
it's hard to say that a guy didn't go to a good situation when he's drafted by the reigning Super Bowl champs. I I, I think this (laughs) is a... I don't know. This is more of a good fit and a good situation for Britt than it is for the Buccaneers because, once again, we're talking about fifth-round selections here, but it's a good fit for K.J. Britt because, A, you're going to the Super Bowl champs. B, the Buccaneers are drafting depth here. You don't have to play right away, which is good for K.J. Britt, who still has a lot of developing to do. He's a good head on his shoulders. He understands the game of football, and he plays hard, and he works hard, which is uh, it's good to get culture guys like that in your locker room because he's going to get other guys to work hard around him. But his longevity in the NFL and whether or not he makes a roster, because we're getting into that territory here in the fifth round where not everybody's making a roster, his longevity in the NFL and his ability to make a roster is going to be determined by his ability to overcome his shortcomings athletically. He's not the fastest linebacker. He's not the best coverage linebacker out there. But then again, when you get into this range in the NFL draft, who is? What guys are, like all these guys in this territory are trying to overcome athletic shortcomings, right? And it just comes down to these guys that stick around in the league for a decent amount of time, they found a way to overcome it. He's not alone in this territory of the draft. We're not singling out K.J. Britt. It's just, this is, this is the nature of getting drafted this late in the NFL draft he's got a chance to make a roster and he's got a chance to learn with a pretty good defense in the NFL and in one of the better linebacker rooms I would say probably in the NFC as well he's got a chance to learn it's a good situation for Britt oh it's a great situation for Britt you're going you you said it best you're going to the reigning Super Bowl champs doesn't really get much better than that you also are going to a situation where you're not expected you're not really expected to play because you've got guys ahead of like I'm talking about like play start super super meaningful minutes with you know Levante David Devin White ahead of you but you can come in provide a role you can come in and you know just come in a couple of times learn from you know some good guys and you can follow like the Kevin Minter lead of how to just come in provide minutes for a team that has kind of got their linebacking core established you can provide a role on special teams and everybody knows this he's a great locker room guy people will like that was one thing that NFL people were talking about that he interviewed incredibly well. People who follow Auburn football know that he was a locker room guy. Great senior bowl. Oh, and he, he That's what got him drafted, possibly. The senior bowl, he did really well. He also did a lot better in coverage at the senior bowl yeah. than I saw in his entirety at Auburn, it felt like, which we talked about. But he about really it. didn't get the opportunity to showcase it at, this yep. year because of injuries. So the question is... Did he add that like last offseason? We just didn't really get to see it this season. That might have. I mean, he might have, and we just Maybe. didn't see it this year. You and, saw a little bit of it in the Senior Bowl. And so, if he gets a full season at Auburn, what does his draft stock look like there? Is it higher than what it is at fifth round? Maybe we're getting too far ahead of ourselves here, but. Maybe a, uh, definitely a year of playing college football is going to help a guy's draft stock. It's probably, I mean, it, it's still Most got a chance time. to hurt it, but yes. playing could help you as well could have maybe pushed him up another round i doubt he could have gotten to the third round because once again you're talking about athleticism here and i don't see you really overcoming that until you get to the next level but if you do find a way i don't think he could have passed i don't think he could have passed the fourth round i think he think his ceiling was mid to late fourth round and so i think going in the fifth not terrible for where kj Britt was projected because you got to think he's overcoming the athletic just you know the athletic hamperings that he has and that's not saying he's not an athletic players just when you're looking at it in the scope of some of the other guys with their size and their measurables kj Britt leaves a little bit to desire that's why you're drafted in the fifth round that's exactly. not that, that's why you don't go in the third round there's no way to overcome that 
in a draft scope because guys draft NFL GMs and front offices draft guys even if they're not very good Anthony Schwartz was a far less productive player in college than KJ Britt was when KJ Britt was healthy he averaged three catches for 40 yards and 0.17 touchdowns per game at Auburn he was that a- was his per game averages KJ Britt was a lot more productive but guys draft players GMs draft players purely on athleticism sometimes and and, and KJ Britt's not in the upper echelon of those parameters. Anthony Schwartz was a less productive receiver than another receiver on his team that went four that went, rounds, or I'm yeah, sorry, three, three rounds later than he did himself. So like that's it's all about athleticism sometimes. And we talk about that receiver on the other side of this break. Why did Seth Williams plummet in the draft? And is this really, is this really the steal of the NFL draft that everybody's talking about? We'll be back on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Still going through Auburn's draft selections in this year's 2021 NFL Draft. We've gone through Anthony Schwartz, third-round selection to the Cleveland Browns, Jamie and Sherwood, fifth-round pick to the New York Jets, and just recently, K.J. Britt, fifth-round pick to the, Tampa Bay, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And now you've got Seth Williams, wide receiver, sixth-round selection to the Denver Broncos. And everybody's wondering, why did this guy fall? You, you step out into Auburn Twitter this previous weekend on Saturday – and every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes, something's going to crop up on your timeline saying, hey guys, Seth Williams still not selected. What's going on? Why is Seth Williams still not been drafted? I can't believe this. This guy's going to be the steal for whoever drafts him. It got to a point where I kind of wondered, is this guy going to get drafted? Is he going to be a seventh round pick? Like, it's, it started What's going fe- on? It started feeling that way. And I mean, I'm looking at it from my team's perspective. I was hoping the Saints would snag him because they got a couple open spots. Or not open spots, but they could take a swing on a guy that has the upside that Seth Williams has in the sixth round, and he could come in and compete because you've lost a lot of those receivers. I mean, your your number two guy for New Orleans is looking to either be Marquez Callaway or Deontay Harris, and as long as you know Traquan Smith isn't hurt, Seth Williams could come in there and fill a role. And you're looking at teams that don't really have that many receivers. The Eagles probably could have taken a flyer on him because they have some, but then it ends up being the Denver Broncos who it makes sense why you would draft him. You said it over the break where you said their receiving room is established. You can look at a guy who, again, he has upside. I, I agree with Jeremy Law. If he was playing with, you know, a little bit more. If he was playing ha- at Alabama, he's a top two-round selection. Yeah, he has that upside. And you could take a swing on a guy like that because your receiver room's already pretty established. On the flip side, though, I think this is one of the worst selections, or or not not one of the worst selections of the draft, but I think this is probably the worst fit. I'm trying to decide if it's a worst fit for Jamie and Sherwood in New York or Seth Williams in Denver, and I think I'm going to go with Seth Williams in Denver because I I, I really am wondering if the guy's going to make the team. And Auburn folks out there are listening to this and they're like, you're crazy. This guy's so good. This guy's amazing. Look at all the things he did at Auburn. You're right. But do you know what NFL teams are looking at and why he dropped to the sixth round? 
they're looking at all the things he didn't do at Auburn. And what I mean by that is, you look at a, several draft reports about this guy, you step out online and see what NFL draft analysts were saying about Seth Williams and why you're watching the ESPN coverage of this and why he's not even on Mel Kuyper's like 10 available in the fifth round, like best available 10 guys in the fifth round. Like he wasn't even there. I was watching. He wasn't even, you're in the fifth round and Seth Williams, you're like midway through the fifth round. KJ Britt's just now selected and top 10 guys available according to Mel Kuyper. He's nowhere to be seen. These guys were saying that you, you watch Seth Williams and he disappeared in games. And I'm not just talking about South Carolina games. Sometimes it was effort. You saw it in the Georgia game. You see it. You saw it at several points last year where sometimes he, you, you see him make an amazing catch over Kelvin Joseph. You throw him out of the bounds in, in, in the Kentucky game. But then in the Georgia and South Carolina games, or really the next three, four games for Auburn over in the early stretch of the season, he just disappears. Why does he disappear? Some people are calling out effort on the field in regards to Seth Williams. Do you see that? I, I don't know if it's – I don't want to say it's effort as much as maybe just a little bit inconsistency in his game. And I think that's – he's a big body receiver who – What about urgency? Is that a better word? Yeah, because I, I, I don't – like. See, I see. I, I, I hear the say, same thing when I, I say those say, two words. I want to say more of – fatigue but not in a physical sense like I'm not saying that he's out of shape getting fatigued I think he got fatigued with the system and realized like hey like this isn't helping me like I'm not getting the balls that I should be getting but is that a good trait or no I mean I'm not saying it's a great trait I'm just saying like it makes more sense from when if you're running you're wide open and the next thing you know a ball is going over your head sure But, but then also on the flip side you're also dropping a lot of passes that you should catch so it it, maybe it just maybe what he was doing at Auburn just kind of soured on him real quick that's kind of more what I see than just a lack of effort because I think the effort and the intensity is there for him, but it did feel like something this year. It was a weird year. Maybe that could be attributed to it. I don't know. It just felt like something this year from a consistency perspective. Half the times it clicked and half the times it didn't. There was a consi- And that's why guys fall to the sixth round. He's also got a case of the dropsies. Drop, drops in consistency. Well, Man. Like you could even take the consistency part out. Drops, that'll, for, you know, pun intended, that'll drop you in the draft. Because if he's not dropping all these passes, you're probably looking at a guy in the third round where you're the same thing with Anthony Schwartz. This guy's got upside. We can take a flyer on him in the third round. And he really didn't drop it a whole lot. Yeah. like And, and now you you see Anthony or you see Seth Williams where he was dropping the ball. So you're thinking, I mean. Anthony Schwartz has more touchdowns and more yards if Bo Nix could hit, hit a deep ball. Uh, his last two years I mean, we, t- we talked about that so many times in the show where you know you see Anthony Schwartz around the five or ten yard line running down the field and the ball goes out of the back the back of the end zone on a, a go route like that that's just that's just that attributes some of the stats inefficiencies for Anthony Schwartz because he was being overthrown a lot Seth Williams he was dropping the ball a lot that kind of helps his stat inefficiencies and it felt like it felt like he plateaued he felt it felt like Anthony Schwartz, or I'm sorry Seth Williams did what every Auburn receiver has done, in my opinion, throughout the regime of the Gus Malzahn tenure, where they come on early, they look great, and then they either transfer out or they plateau. Like a Kyle Davis, he looked good early on, transfers out for you know some other reasons, whatever. But like he never, he I never thought got, he was kicked off the team. Yeah, like he was out. Like that's what I'm saying. Like he was out. Didn't didn't keep playing. Duke Williams was off the team. Nate Did, Craig Myers. Nate Craig Myers off the team. Sammy well, Coates. He didn't, he didn't get off the team. He transferred. Yeah. Sammy, or that's why I'm just saying not on the team anymore. Sammy, sure. Sammy Coates, he never got, like, I felt, I didn't feel like Sammy Coates got better from day one. Like, I felt like he came in, he was a guy who could 
I don't know. I think he got better from his freshman year. He could go in. He could like he could run, catch some contested balls. But what else did Sammy Coach do? He dropped a lot he of had passes, the drops, and that's what got him out of the league. That's Seth what got him out of the Seth league. Seth Williams came in, was a very talented guy that everybody loved. But then toward the end of the year, it never felt like he improved. It just felt like he kind of stayed that same way that a lot of the high-profile receiver guys came that's in. Good point. They just never really. It didn't feel like they never improved really too much. turned. He never really reached that next notch in his game to complete dominance and And that's where i'm trying to get with it is like the switch was on sometimes and when the switch was on for seth williams he's throwing kelvin joseph out of the back of the end zone Mm -hmm. and and that's like peak seth williams for me it's throwing a future what was he a second round pick kelvin joseph kentucky yeah i think he's one of the best quarterbacks in this year's draft class out of the end zone because he just mossed him. That's peak Seth Williams in his career for me. Not not all of the game-winning touchdowns because the Ole Miss one, that's a defensive miscue more than a than, than a Seth Williams beast play, which he, he did do some great things there, but Ole Miss missed yeah. two tackles there, right? And then the, the touchdown to, in the Oregon game, great play, great play, great throw, great play, all right? But the, the catch over Kelvin Joseph in the Kentucky game, like I think when I look at that play, I'm like, that – is his best highlight of his career. And, that's, and it, it may have not have been a game-winning play, but like and that can, is his most NFL-quality yes, play. Yes, most NFL-quality because you're going up against an yeah. NFL cornerback. He also had another catch in that Kentucky game. I look back at the Kentucky game for Seth Williams, and I'm like, this game is littered with NFL film. But, th- but there then was, you go, I, I can't find another game. But then go to South Carolina game, and then you see that it did yeah. not have a lot of NFL film in and that I, one. And, and what I meant was I can't find another film that in 2020. Th- yes. I can't find another one in 2020, and I think that's something that hurt him too. But the switch isn't always on. And when it's off, largely unproductive because he, he really isn't the most shifty character with the ball in his hands. So he doesn't really – he's not he's not as – as you like to say, he's not a yak guy. Yeah. And he's, he's maybe not the best route runner because Auburn didn't teach him that way. But physicality, when the switch is on, he makes up for all that. And so – Seth Williams is, and reason why I don't like this fit the most out of all of the other Auburn guys is because he's going into a loaded receiver room. They've got receivers. This was not a need for the Broncos. He's going into a receiver room where they don't really need him. They're just seeing, well, we've seen this guy's film. We've seen what this guy could do. If the switch is on, we'll keep him around, and maybe this guy ends up being a beast for us. But if it's not, and he gets and he gets beat out in training camp and he doesn't make the 53-man roster somebody else may pick him up during the regular season as a free agent but if this doesn't work out in Denver well they the franchise is not going to fold on a six-round pick and you're really in the territory now with six-round picks where they don't necessarily make the team and it doesn't hurt you financially to cut them either and that's fair I I I feel a little bit better about him making the team after looking at the receiver room, yes, it is a very good receiver room. You got a lot of guys, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, a guy that they who also was struggling with drops in the NFL last year, which was a little bit iffy to me. I was not expecting that. Jerry Judy, Seth Williams, similar players can moss you, can destroy you physically, but except drops. for the one thing, Jerry Judy can run routes, yeah, better than any, right. better than yeah. any like college prospect that Possibly, I was watching in my time. You look at Jerry Judy and you look at Seth Williams, and you say. This is what you can become. Yeah. And, I mean, they also invest in a guy like K.J. Hamler. And Tim Patrick's still on the team. I think Seth Williams could, at, if he makes the roster, I think he could overtake Tim Patrick's role as the number four receiver on this depth chart because I think he's more talented than a guy like Tim Patrick. Because, I mean, 
Deshaun Hamilton, not a bad player, but I think Seth Williams' raw talent could get him over that. Tyree Cleveland, uh, he's been underwhelming since he's been in the league. And then you have a Deontay Spencer who never heard of him. So I'm, <laughs> I, I'm going to say if I've never heard of you in the NFL, you have a chance to overtake that guy. So he could. I, I feel better about him making this roster, roster than I did before because initially I was thinking completely loaded, log jam. He's not going to get on this team. It does look like he could. And then Aaron Rodgers is going to come to Denver in a little bit. So, I mean, if you can get on the field with Aaron Rodgers, you're going to look pretty good. So those are all the Auburn selections, breaking them down throughout today's show. Best fit, Anthony Schwartz to Cleveland. I think we would agree. Yeah. Worst fit, are you going Sherwood or are you going Williams? I'm going Williams. I actually okay. kind of like Sherwood's fit because he is going somewhere with a guy who you've seen develop defensive talent. I'm with you on that one. Williams is in a tough situation in Denver, but oh, yeah. maybe he can make it work. More of On the Line on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 1067. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. That's also how you can watch our show. You can watch our show on the ESPN 1067 Facebook page, as well as Radio Alabama Sports and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Was that was that you waving at the camera? Yeah, you called out Facebook. So I waved to That's the right. So I waved to the Facebook. Wave at the camera. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Keep it on, keep it on in this show here. NFL draft who had the best who had the worst draft let's take this a little bit more national here on the show we've talked a lot of Auburn a lot of Alabama let's get into it here which teams had the best drafts Levi your fingers on the pulse on this one what you think I've got a I got a couple teams that come to mind one of which we we hit on pretty heavy heavily earlier so I'm just going to mention them kind of quickly the Cleveland Browns I thought they did really well with getting good value throughout the draft and that's kind of typically how I view who wins and who loses in the draft because let's be honest we don't know if any of these guys are going to pan out but if I see if you got what I think is good NFL talent at good spots typically it pans out well for you I think the Cleveland Browns did that I also really liked what the Chicago Bears did because they didn't have to do anything else after day one the fact that Justin Fields was able to get to them in my opinion the Chicago Bears did a great thing because he came in that you didn't think you had a chance of getting him. They get him, and then immediately, what do they do after that? They go two offensive linemen to go ahead and shore up Justin Fields. And you feel like, you have, for the Bears, that one pick is all you needed because you feel like you have hope. Yeah, you Your fans feel like you have hope. Other couple, A couple other teams I could think of, the Vikings, I liked what they did. They got a lot of good values. You know, they had uh, Darisol slip to them. I don't really like the Kellamon selection, but uh, it is what it is. Who would? Who would? Other than that, they did good. And then Miami Dolphins, I think they've been drafting very well for the past few years. And that's how you see teams get better. You look at the Cleveland Browns and you look at the Miami Dolphins. There's a reason why they're back in the playoff hunt, place that has that that, that they've missed for, especially for the Browns, for quite some time. Not as much so the Dolphins, but they've really been 
you know, they'll make it one year and then they're gone for several years, right? Or, or for a substantial amount of time, mainly because of how tough that division has been for them trying to leapfrog the Patriots. Now the Patriots are down and the Bills are hard to overcome. So, but they, but they have a better chance now that they have in many, 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 many years, last 20 years or so, you know, when you're talking about the, the Miami Dolphins. But I want to go back to the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears had a solid draft just because of the Justin Fields situation. You go into this offseason and you bring in Andy Dalton and you make a post saying QB1 on Twitter. And you're expecting Andy Dalton trying to reignite his career, trying to create a flame as, as red as his hair, trying to reignite. And you, this guy's 72 overall on Madden, my friend. Yep. Chicago Bears fans are groaning going into the offseason thinking man another year where we have a terrible quarterback on Madden how are we supposed to work with this these guys there was there was just no hope like there was no hope for any sort of future because the team itself was so good like it was good enough to make it to the playoffs but what what do I keep telling you the worst you can be is being that middling class they went to the playoffs last year you yeah know? they were and, like they were in that just and they were barely in the playoffs slash like that eight and eight nine and seven that area but without a good quarterback and, and that was the issue and potential wise people believe Justin Fields to be the third best quarterback in terms of potential in this year's draft and the 49ers gave him a gift drafting Trey Lance I don't know about that I think Trey Lance is the better I, I still, know you I'm like still, Trey I'm still, Lance I'm, I still think that Trey Lance is the third best quarterback in this draft I think they got it right I know you like Trey Lance I'm with you there but what I'm trying to say is if Justin Fields is off the board at three the Bears don't trade up for Trey Lance. I think they do if Trey Lance makes it to the same spot that Justin Fields did. I think they trade up for the way, like, I think it shapes up if there are two quarterbacks sitting there in any of those two, whether it be Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. I think out of any of those three guys, if two of them are still sitting there and you see the Bears, they're like, we got to go up and get one of those guys. Because all three of those guys have NFL starting and franchise warping potential compared to what you have and it, it really just depended on how not far everybody they... believes that though not everybody believes that Trey Lance has that ability there's a reason why he's been a mid-round guy for a lot of mock drafts well I, th- I think that's just more I don't think the media believes in Trey Lance I think NFL places I think they do but I think they value him a lot because what he brings to the table is a guy who has a live arm he came from a pro style system and he's got mobility, and he's he's a big guy. Like he's going to be able to absorb some hits. I, 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 the way I see it is, the Bears weren't thinking that they could get a quarterback for the future in this draft, and it didn't matter which one of those three guys fell to that range, because like they weren't going to trade up top ten and get a guy. Like they just didn't have the vibe I get from the Bears selection here at quarterback. Though wasn't that they went into this draft thinking, yeah, we're going to trade up at this spot to go and get somebody if they're available. I think it was so stinking obvious that Justin Fields was still on the board that they were like, "We got to jump on this." No, that's why I'm. I don't have a whole lot of faith in that front office to have gone in with that kind of strategy. In no, this no, draft. no, and that's that's why I'm saying it didn't matter which one fell. Like I think that they sat there and they they went in. Obviously, I think it's less obvious though if Trey Lance is there, right? Like I, I, I don't I think still, so. I have a hard time believing, but you're super high up on him, so I'm trying to like separate that 
And, and because I, I and you brought up the media th- that you don't think that the media is high up on Trey Lance and sure and like their opinions of him sure I, I see that coming through but a lot of these mock drafts are based on the sources that is true that these draft analysts have inside these organizations and what you're seeing a lot of times throughout that week leading up to the draft if he wasn't at three he was he was viewed as a mid-round, mid-first-round guy. I always go through it, and I see the guys who are typically connected to more of the sources, like your Kuypers, your McShays, not some random guy who's blogging about it somewhere that's on like some some guy that's never heard of, that's not really connected in sources. Somebody like me, who's just who's just pumping out what I think is a good fit to a good situation. And you see those guys, even with Trey Lance not going to three overall, they were typically being mocked to the Falcons, the Bengals. I'm not the Bengals, I'm sorry, the... Uh, whoa. I don't know why I said the Bengals, the Broncos got my bees yep. mixed up. You're you're still seeing him go pretty early in you know that top ten space. That's why I just think that the Bears, with what they had, and they also were in a position to where if they liked Trey Lance over Mac Jones, because Mac Jones was still there as well, they could have went up and got Mac Jones over Trey Lance. But if they liked Trey Lance better, they could afford to sit him if they viewed him as a developmental prospect that a lot of people did. Because Andy Dalton, you're not going to wow anybody, but he could sit behind Andy Dalton for sure. Like you could try to Andy Dalton out there as your QB one and Trey Lance could. Andy Dalton's a step up from what they've had. Yeah. And you could just have Trey Lance sit on the bench and, you know, just learn from a guy who's been in the league and been a starter. And honestly, who has in his career been a good above average starter at times, but from winning the draft perspective, I would have liked it. If they got Trey Lance. I would have liked it. If they got Mac Jones, I love it for Justin Fields because, one, it gets your fans excited. Sometimes we, we hit that little thing about sometimes you have to go bird watching with your wife. And like <laughs> we were talking about that with Aaron Rodgers where sometimes you just got to appease him. And even if you valued Trey Lance a little bit better or Matt Jones better, which they clearly didn't because they took Justin Fields over him, Justin Fields was the guy who was going to get your fan base excited because they, they've kind of lost it. They, they've they kind of lost the faith that they had in the front office to make good draft picks. When you look at it for years, they've seen they drafted Mitchell Trubisky over Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, and they traded up to get him. They traded up to get a guy that they... that They just sent packing. Yeah, and they've heard it for years, and now they're sitting here looking at QB1 tweets that has Andy Dalton on it, and they're thinking, well, like, there's no hope. Justin Fields is the guy who is going to excite the fans more. Trey Lance might end up being better. Mac Jones might end up being better. But Justin Fields was the guy who... Justin Fields might end up being better than those guys. They're not going to blame you if you were wrong. Because it was Justin Fields. They're they're excited. It was the right pick. And I think that's why they win this draft. Because it's not only addressing a need. It's it's addressing a need that you didn't think you were going to be able to fill in this draft where you were selecting at. You don't think they won this draft, though. You you just think they're a winner in this draft. You think they had the best draft? I think the Patriots had a solid draft. I don't think they had the best draft. I... I think I, the Patriots had a good draft. I think the Patriots had a good draft. I still, I'm still going to say probably the Dolphins were my winner overall. Maybe, and I think a man Cleveland the Browns, knocked it out uh, of the, the park. The Browns are so close too. Like I think it's hard to not look at the Vikings, the Browns, like the Dolphins as like overall winners. I think the Bears still crushed it. They're up there. Buccaneers sneaky. Sneaky, it very seems good like one. the Bears did their damage in the first round, and after that, you're like, all right, and it's, they got it's, a, it's good. a good draft, but like, it's nothing that's just like jumping off the page. You look at the Patriots; they were solid through the first three rounds. You look at the, 
You look at the Browns, what they did throughout the entire draft, I think. You even get into the fourth and fifth round when you're talking about, I don't know how to pronounce the Ohio State defensive tackle's last name. but Yeah, to- Toji, I think. Yeah, something like that. That's great value in the fourth round. You're seeing like the Browns had a solid draft through the first four or five rounds. And then you go into the Dolphins. They were able to get some high draft. Look, I mean, you're talking about a team that was one game away from making the playoffs they barely missed the playoffs they were 10 and 6 last year they were 10 and 6 they won 10 games okay right. that's a good team it, it, it's not their fault the AFC had three or four 11 and 5 10 and 6 teams that were on the cusp they got left out and they got to draft sixth overall sixth like you win the you're you're a winner in the draft yep. at that spot because it's hard to go wrong worst drafts and yeah so before I hit on the worst draft I do want to go ahead and say I did like Tampa Bay's because they got a guy out of North Texas who is going to be a good wide receiver piece if he can get on the field. I like that guy. Some of those guys leave. They got and you look back at some of the first round picks that the Bucks have made since like 2017. They they haven't missed on one since 2017. You go back to like 2015. I think they've missed on like two guys. They've been drafting really well in the first round. So watch out for that. Losers. I mean, I think the obvious one is always the Raiders because it seems like since John Gruden has gotten there. Him and Mike Mayock have not drafted very well. They've gotten some good guys, but it just feels like they've gotten guys in positions that they shouldn't. And I mean positions in the draft. Like, you look at a guy like Alex Leatherwood, I think he's a great piece, but you're drafting at 17 overall. I don't think you had to reach for Alex Leatherwood there, who I still think is a good tackle. I just don't think you'd pick him there. I did like the Trayvon uh, Merrick pick. I like the safety out of TCU. Other than that, I mean, they just really didn't do anything that's a, that that wowed me for them and I, I, that's just like that's just me being honest with them um a couple of losers not for who they picked but maybe a lack of picks seahawks texans yeah know. the texans for a fact they like, have yeah. to be considered the losers right I love if you them. don't pick in the first two rounds how can you exactly how, how are you at all remotely considered a winner it's and your a, first yeah. pick was a quarterback and so if anything you're a loser because of your situation right now you want to know what you lost the draft you're going to lose football games next year too you just better get used to the word lose that's true yeah i mean it's it's hard to like you just said it's hard to win the draft when you don't pick in the first two rounds and that's why the i think the texans actually with the picks they made I think they got some pretty good players. You like Davis Mills. I love Davis Mills. I like Brevin Jordan out of Miami. Like that's why they're not as low on my list. Like yes, like they can only get so high in this draft because you didn't have two first rounds. You didn't have your first round, didn't have second rounds, but you got Davis Mills who I think is a very good piece to come in here. He can be behind Tyrod Taylor for a year and he has the potential to be a starting quarterback. Oh, and by the way, if you're bad next year, there's a guy named Sam Howell in the draft next year that, that I really like as a prospect as well. Brevin Jordan tied in out of Miami. I think he criminally dropped, in my opinion. I He was my third best tight end going into this draft, and they got him in like the fifth or sixth round. I like Brevin Jordan. Nico Collins out of Michigan, pretty okay guy for where you're picking him at. Like They made the most out of their picks. The problem was they didn't have a lot. Seahawks, same way. Rams, same way. They didn't just have... like they. Like the Rams had a lot of picks just later on. They just didn't have a lot of guys up there. Didn't really like the Tutu Atwell pick that the Rams made just because I feel like their receiver room is pretty good. They didn't really need him, didn't really address a need for him. So I'm going to go ahead and say like the Texans, Seahawks, just based off of lack of picks. And then the Raiders, because I don't think they did very well with the picks they had. We wrap up the show on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. 
You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wrapping up the show here on your Monday afternoon. It's a little brighter outside. Throughout our show, we've seen some rain, some wind, some thunder. If there's thunder, there's lightning, so lightning too. But uh, it's been a packed show for us as well, not just the weather. It's been a packed show. Talked a lot about Auburn's draft selections, about whether or not they're good fits. We tried to break down all those selections for you guys today. Also talked about the transfer portal a bit. Cheo Garnett, Jay Hardy entering the transfer portal for Auburn football. Spoke with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. If you missed any of the show today, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Before we wrap up the show, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. The Voice has a new episode at 7 on NBC. Three new shows on CBS starting at 7 with The Neighborhood. At 7.30, Bob Hart's Abishola. And at 8, All Rise. Some movie selections for tonight. Mr. Incredible is left at home with the kids as Elastigirl becomes the face of superheroes. Incredibles 2 is on ABC at 7. Back-to-back National Treasure movies on Freeform. National Treasure 1 is on at 4.30. And then the sequel, Book of at 7.30. An alien symbiote takes over a human venom is on fx at seven a pair of born movies is on sci-fi the born identity is on at five and the born supremacy is on at 7 30 there are two nba games on espn beginning at 6 30 the golden state warriors and the new orleans pelicans square off at nine head to the west coast for the denver nuggets at the los angeles lakers nhl hockey is on nbc sports at seven with the vegas golden knights at the minnesota wild i'm noah gardner and that's what's on tv tonight Headed into the final stretch of On the Line here. Noah Garner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the show. we got about four minutes left before we head out of here. And then it'll be the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. Make sure you stay tuned for them. As you do every weekday from 4 to 6, they'll be taking your calls. It's been a good show today, Levi. we got about four minutes before we get out of here. Yeah, I mean, it's been great. We talked a lot of draft. You know how much I love the draft. I'm always going to want to talk about it. Well, we got you know a good month of content out of this past weekend. Oh, for sure, for sure. And... Uh, you know, a couple of things we didn't get to talk about. Kansas City Royals, still number one in baseball, by the way. Still just leading the league. It's hard to hear anybody else talking What's to me. What's the record right now? When I'm way up here, we're 16-7, and seven, if I'm not mistaken. 16-and-something, if I'm not mistaken. Will it last? Oh, yeah. This team's going to World Series. It's not even close. <clears> but sadder news, the wheels are starting to fall off. NC Dinos of the Korean Baseball Organization, they are three and a half games out of first place right now. So... It's a little hard, but uh, I know I know everybody out there listening loves it when I update them on the NC Dinos, and uh, it's a little heartbreaking when your team is three and a half games out of first place in the KBO. So going back to the transfer portal here, and away from the Korean Baseball League, but going back to the transfer portal here, talk, we talked earlier with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports, quoting him right now or paraphrasing here right now, saying that the rich get richer and the poor stay poor with the transfer portal. Alabama lands Ohio State receiver Jamison Williams announcing today that he plans to transfer to Alabama former four-star recruit look man if he's playing Ohio State and now he's transferring to Alabama Alabama's getting a stud yeah and like I I tend to disagree a little bit with the the poor get poor because I think that they will have chances to there the way you're going to see it is you're going to see guys at these top programs who are Maybe just underwhelming. Maybe they were high recruits that haven't haven't hit it yet, and there's there's no interest. Daquan Newkirk, yeah, like guys, big cap Bryant, and then they end up going to smaller programs, and they might just. But guess where they went though? They transferred to Tennessee, and now one ended up at UCF. But at first, he went to Tennessee before the you firing. Occurred. You said UCF, like they're not a top program. 
Uh, I, I don't want to go there because I more. saw some things that you I saw some things that you tweeted over the weekend. That's now's not the time and the place, Levi. But I understand. I get it. I thought about it for a second. I was like, you know what? I, I you know what? I'm not even going to argue about this because they did beat <laughs> Auburn. But still going forward. And then you got Daquan Newkirk went to Florida. So to a degree, you're kind of right. But they still ended up at SEC programs. That yeah, and that's true. Like I. I, I think more of it for like guys who don't end up going there because I do think some of these guys will end up at like your smaller schools, like your like your G five schools, like some will end up at like your SMUs, your USFs, your Boise States. I mean, Boise State's still a bigger program. Your Coastal Carolinas, like guys who will end up at some of those schools and maybe just out athleticize, like just be a more athletic guy than the competition around them. They'll show out and they might could end up. In the league, I mean, a guy that got drafted this weekend, he wasn't a transfer guy, but Peyton Miller was a dude who was just bigger than everybody in the American Athletic Conference that he was playing. And I think you might end up seeing guys like that who just they don't like. Maybe their their worth that work ethic's not there. Maybe they're buried in the depth chart. Maybe they're just underperforming and they don't have it. It, it is going to be interesting to see. I think it will balance itself out, but I could be wrong. It could just end up that guys end up hopping around the bigger programs. You might see guys leave Ohio State and go to Alabama. You might see people, Like what we just saw. Yeah, you might see guys that leave Auburn and go to your Tennessees. Like that's, and your Floridas. Yeah, you, you might that that might be the trend that continues and I could be wrong and I think you I see more that. guys, I think you see more flip-flop in basketball maybe going from bigger program to, to mid-major. Sm- yes, I think than it, you do yes. in football I, because there's more positions and That's football fair. and there are more openings in football every year to be able to support taking on another guy right. slash going that that's to, fair. from a bigger school to another big school it right? makes more it makes a little bit more sense for basketball i agree there with are that. more options for a guy like daquan newkirk or big cat bryant leaving auburn to still end up at a power five school than there is maybe out of a basketball player trying to make that decision because there are less yes. spots yes and a lot of times you're going to air towards if you're a big time program in college basketball you're going to bring in a top 10 recruit over a transfer, I think, sometimes. That's true. And Barry then, Smith, definitely more valued. <laughs> more valued than a guy you're going to get out of Loyola yeah. Chicago. That's it for another edition of On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron following Gus on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.